This is Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein. Today's show, The Measure of a Man. So it started when uh, my wife's friend passed on. We had to go to the funeral. Uh-huh. It was at a funeral uh, home up, up north, and I didn't really know how to get there. So I found the website of the funeral home, and they had a uh, link to funerals, and it was like, click here to you know see the online funeral directory or something. So I clicked on it, uh-huh. and it took me to this list of names, and you could watch the person's funeral. You know, as a little movie, as a video. Wait, what do you mean? Actual, like, videos of, of funerals that have taken place? Well, that's the thing. I didn't really know what it was, but it sounded weird. Why would you want to watch someone else's funeral? So I didn't do it. I just downloaded the directions and printed them out, and we went to this funeral. Mm-hmm. Anyway, after the funeral, uh, my wife got all depressed. So another friend of hers uh, called up and, and said, Hey, uh, I'm going to be in Florida for this month. Do you want to come come for a week? I said, You know, you should go. You've been a little unhappy, depressed, so you should, uh, should go and do that. And so she, she went. You know, next thing you know, you're just sitting around at home alone in your underwear. You got nothing else to do, so you boot up the old computer, start screwing around, and uh, I went back to that list of names, all the people whose funerals you could watch. And I picked the name and, and I started watching uh, a video. It was like a Bromsky or something. So, so what was it? Like it was, it was literally, it's like the whole service. Yeah, it was the whole service, you know, you'd see the coffin and there'd be the podium where the rabbi would be and there would be people who would come up and say things about the dead person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they all have that same sameness to them. People go up to the podium, talk a bit, uh, pretty briefly, maybe they cry a bit, uh, they sit down, the rabbi does his thing. Uh, says the Kaddish. Everyone kind of mutters along. You know, there'd be a few tasteful flowers. It was usually a pretty similar-looking arrangement every time. How many How many of these uh, video funerals have you, have you actually seen? Well, my wife uh, has been out of town now for five days, and uh, I've been watching funerals uh, probably about 10 or 15 a day. Some of them I've watched more than once, mind you. Well, you know, there's there's one where it's a, a large woman, and she, she takes the stage with such incredible dignity and, and really just breaks down when she gets up there. She's so calm as she approaches the podium. And she's going to talk about her uh, her husband, Maury. And as soon as she gets up there, she just goes, breaks down in pieces and, and she can't say a word. And that, that moment is so compelling to me. This giant woman absolutely filling this space with her grief. Uh, you know, you, you feel 
so intensely at that moment watching that. The thing you see over and over again on uh, when you watch the funerals is, is, is this attempt to sum up someone's life. Like they can get up there on the podium and make a, a short speech and, and everyone will know who you are and what you did and why you did it. And you maybe you spend your whole life trying to be a complicated person with different ideas and idiosyncrasies and Uncle Morty gets up there and, and says, uh, she was so sweet, you know, she always called me on Sunday, some ridiculous thing like that. So your whole life gets, gets reduced to this, this, you know, these random points and who they choose to go up there and, and it, it's worse because of this taping, you know, you just think, don't these people know it's, it's going to be sitting there on this website for everyone to watch forever. I don't know how I'm going to measure up when it all comes down to me lying in the pine box, you know, and the Warners lined up there. Maybe no one will come. I mean, maybe I want the whole, the whole thing, the whole, the whole shtick. I want people crying and tearing out their hair and someone rushes up and throws themselves on the casket and you know, has to be restrained. Somebody has to be helped off the stage because they're so overcome with grief. You know, I want to be the guy that, that gets the, that gets the really the whole everything. Everyone. You can't watch this thing without tearing up. And I'm thinking, I'm watching these people's funerals and I'm thinking, I'll do this, I'll do that, and I'll have the best funeral. And people will be in tears and they'll know what exactly what I was about. But I mean, you're not, you know, you won't be there to, to know, you know? He won't be there to know, but but someone else could be watching it online and going, "What a loser!" You know, no one no one came to his funeral. Well, would, I mean, you spend your whole life trying to convince people that you're not a loser, and then at the end, you know, your your funeral looks shabby online. That's that's not how I wanted to go. No way. I, I don't I don't think that the, the you know the, the 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 actual measure of a person's life could be taken from you know just how many people show up at their funeral well maybe it can maybe it can't i mean i don't know what what am i going to leave behind i you know, i work in an office i send emails all day i leave voicemail you're not going to remember a voicemail i leave on your uh, on your phone about the purchase order you know you're not going to say very concise email well done i'll remember that you know about him for the rest of his life no you'll you'll remember the funeral It sounds as though you're sort of you're 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 directing a lot of attention onto the funeral. Yeah. And maybe at the expense of you know, of actually um, you know, ensuring a decent funeral by just sort of living a good life, doing what you can to sort of um, touch many lives and touch them deeply and to kind of live well. Yeah, living a good life, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's really all you can do, you know, and then in the end, you know, you hand over the, the, you know, your life to those that you love and you hope that, you know, they'll, they'll kind of do it justice with, with their memories of you. And, and mm -hmm. beyond that, I mean, really, the only thing that you could actually do is, um, is just kind of live your life. When exactly is your wife coming back anyway? 
she's coming back tomorrow, and uh-huh. I think that's good. I think that's good. Because yeah. She gets me out of the house, and you know, without her, I, I get all wrapped up in this kind of depressive stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of depressing. I mean, she's a lot more, you know, she's all about life, and... Mm-hmm. And she, 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 you know, I miss her. I miss her. She, she yeah. keeps me from from getting all crazy like this. You know what I, you know what I should do? I should, I should take her out. You know, I'll pick her up from the airport, and I'll, and I'll take her out for a nice meal, maybe at one of those fancy hotels. There you go. Maybe I'll bring her flowers. She loves flowers. Hmm. I don't get it. The flowers, they just die. But she, she loves it. You know, she's always saying. Oh, you're cheap. You know, you don't you don't like to take me out. And then mm-hmm. I'll show her. You know that I really love her and that that I miss great. her and everything. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think she'd li- really like. You think she'd like that? I, th- I absolutely. I, I think she would like. You that. know, and she could be the one, right? The one. Well, she could be the one who's, who's up there talking at my funeral. You know, and the last thing I want is for her to to say, "Oh, he's cheap. He didn't." didn't take me out again with the funerals but you know but you said you said it right you said i should i should live life yeah that's the way i'm gonna have a have a good funeral right that's not what you said yeah but i mean forget about forget about the funeral well i mean i'm not you know i'm not just doing it for the funeral but it's like an insurance policy you know i'll do i'll change a bit i'll i'll take her out some more you know because you never know you don't know how it's gonna be when you're gone Tara, you, you, you run Fame Tracker, which is um, a website that evaluates celebrity worth. Correct. And, and on the site, you do something called Fame Audits. Yes. So where, where you measure people's fame. Exactly. Can, can you explain that a little bit? Sure. Uh, the concept of Fame Tracker now is that it's, it's the farmer's almanac of celebrity worth. And so the, uh, the, the idea is you take a celebrity and you uh, look at their body of work and sort of their public persona as as we perceive it, you know, just as entertainment consumers, and determine whether they have uh, more fame than they should, less fame than they should, or the the rare but occasionally seen uh, exactly the right amount of fame. So you, so you look at fame as though it's it's an actual, like, quantifiable currency. Yes. At the end of the fame audit, you know, we do an assessment, and then we have their assets and their liabilities, which are just bullet points of what's good and what's bad about them. And then it wraps up with their approximate current level of fame, and we compare them to another famous person that we think is comparable, obviously. Like, for instance? Um, For instance, Kate Hudson, current approximate level of fame, Jennifer Aniston, and then her deserved approximate level of fame was Liv Tyler. It's always um, approximate level of fame and deserved level of fame. Current and deserved, yeah. Both are approximate. And, and, and most of the time there's a discrepancy, but then on the rare occasion there's those moments where uh, their deserved and approximate level match. Yes, like and what, their deserved and approximate level are both whoever the person is. Do you, do you have any examples of that? <laughs> sure. Um, we did a Will Smith fame audit uh, just after Ali came out uh-huh. when we determined that he was as famous as he should be that he actually had done enough to have earned, merited the amount of fame that he had. It's, 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 re- it's real, like, um, real uh, financier talk. Yeah. 
let's say fame was something that you can invest in and you were going to counsel me to like the Hollywood invest Stock in a, Exchange of from days of yore. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Like, would you counsel me to in, to make my, an investment in someone like a Paris Hilton or to put my money where? Um, Paris Hilton is a bad investment. She is someone who is famous on paper, <laughs> let's say, to carry on the um, the financial metaphor. Mm-hmm. But someone who uh, doesn't back up her fame with uh, with a lot of hard currency. She doesn't do anything. She just shows up places and gets photographed. So someone who would maybe be a better investment. Um, and could I give it another qualification? Sure. Just to make to, just to make your job more difficult. If I wanted to invest in like a homegrown market and put it into some kind of steady Canadian. Oh, stock. good question, Rachel McAdams for sure. She's she's really cute. Everyone is saying she's the next Julia Roberts. She's uh, she uh, she had an amazing year in 2005. Was in several really big movies that were great. No question. I mean, is, is there something just that's sort of fun about quantifying something that? that we don't necessarily think of as being quantifiable or measurable. Oh, yeah, of course. In, you know, when you're setting yourself as, up as an expert of any kind, especially, you know, a fakey expert in something stupid like celebrity, which is what we've done. I mean, I think the more you can couch it in kind of objective seeming um costume, the more the more legit you come across. In, in thinking about like how to evaluate the measure of a human being, you know, in terms of, I mean, most of, most of the things that we are are kind of invisible and are sort of not easily quantifiable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether we're good people or whether we're successful. But I mean, there's certain things that we can measure. Like we can measure the amount of wealth that a person has, or even to some extent, uh, you know, the, the amount of celebrity that a person has. Mm-hmm. Is there something? Reassuring or comforting about that, or is it you know, or is it misguided to think in that way? I thought you were going to say some. I thought you were going to say the opposite. <laughs> there's something dehumanizing in what we do on the side. Well, like I mean, like no, no, no. Like we're you know, we're 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 kind of hardwired to 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 want to um, measure as much as we can, you know, yeah. and create devices for measurement. But yeah. um, is it sort of in the absence of the ability to to measure things that are deeper, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I yes. Um, Definitely, there is a human impulse to kind of frame the world and all the things in it in terms of quantities that we can that we can understand. That makes everything easier to. It, it makes it seem less um, dauntingly large and unmanageable. Is, is, is the ultimate uh, the ultimate barometer for for fame? If like just everyone knows them, like if I mention someone's name to my mom, yeah, you know, and then they just know who that is. Yes. We used to have a feature on the site that we don't do that much anymore because I think we actually ran out of people that we could do it with. But it was it was called the reasonable person, mm-hmm. and the idea was that you know similarly to how the Supreme Court's measure of you know what what qualifies as pornography is what a reasonable person would think when they look at it. We mm-hmm. sort of had the same idea with fame, where we would interview someone who was not as pop culture savvy as we were, and uh, and then we would sort of gauge that person's response as the true measure of whether a person was actually famous or not. How much fame is too much fame? Do you think there's such a thing? Can 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 a person have too much fame? Yeah, definitely. Like they show paparazzi pictures of celebrities doing completely normal things like pushing a stroller down the street or playing in a park or something. Mhm. Yeah, I mean it seems like there's a lot about being famous as a real drag. So so like given that, if you if you were a star what for you would be the perfect level of fame? 
Um, if I were going to be an actor, as famous as Stephen Tobolowsky, let's say. Who, who's Stephen Tobolowsky? Stephen Tobolowsky is um, an actor who was in uh, Groundhog Day. He played Ned Ryerson, mm -hmm. the insurance guy. Oh, yeah. That guy. So you've probably seen him in, like, at le I would guess at least five movies if you if you even watch an average amount of movies. Yeah, and he always sort of plays a sort of uh, a kind of unlikable bureaucrat or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would be the kind of fame that I would want. Like famous enough that a casting director who knows such things knows you exist and you know can remember you doing good work in various other movies, but not so famous that you have paparazzi camped outside your house all the time just trying to get a shot of you in your bathrobe when you go to get the paper. I think that would be the perfect amount. Let me tell you something about Canada as an American, okay? Oh, okay. This, this ought to be good. Recently, I, I was driving in Canada. I was actually way east. I was in New Brunswick. Mm -hmm. you, you had driven from the States? Yeah. We don't call them that, but yes, we call it America. Right, okay, well, okay, we call it the States. Right. So I go across the border, and I get this brochure from the, um, the border guards, and it explains to me how to drive in the metric system. Mm -hmm. And I've never been great at math, particularly at simple math. Yeah. So, just to be clear, I am someone who believes in safe driving. So I wasn't going to dig through my bags while I was driving 80 miles an hour and take out my calculator, so I just did it in my head. Mm -hmm. And I figured out that I should be going a minimum of 116, a maximum of 138. Miles. Miles per hour. Right. According to your calculations. Right. So there I was, going along, trying to keep it, because I didn't want to go below 116, because, you know, sometimes they give you a ticket if you go too slow. So you felt you had to maintain a speed of, uh, a consistent speed of 116 miles an hour. Right, which is actually not that easy to do. No, it isn't. That's pretty, that's, uh, that's pretty fast. And at a few points, the Trans-Canada slows down through some little lobster fishing villages, and... It was pretty hairy going through some of those villages. I imagine. But then when I got to my destination, I parked the car. Mm -hmm. I went to bed. You know, it was the next day. And when I came out, the drive shaft of the car had actually seized. And it just went, clink, and <laughs> just fell off the car. <laughs> <laughs> from, from going 116 miles an hour. So, but let me just explain to you why I'm annoyed with that. Mm -hmm. Everywhere else that I go, I just go whatever's posted. I don't have to do any math. They don't ask anything of me. They just say, obey this number, and I obey the number. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what state you go to. With all America's problems in the world, everything is in miles per hour. It's very simple. The minute you go off into Never Netherland, it's like going down the rabbit hole, and suddenly everything's gone crazy. And granted, I know in your crazy Canadian cars, you have Canadian speedometers, with metric speedometers. Yeah, we do. It's, yeah, like, the, it's like the car from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> right, so I'm not an Canada. American car. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have, like, made-up fancy magical numbers. It just has regular avoir du poids numbers. Good old American miles. It didn't have some crazy inspector gadget speedometer with metric tons or whatever. And it's not just the miles per hour. It's everything. When you go to the store, you have to buy in grams. It's maddening. No, it's it's just the, it's a way it's it's the way that it's done here. In fact, it's the way that it's done in 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 most of the world. You know what the metric system is great for? What's that? Cocaine. From what I've read in books and seen in movies, people snort a gram of cocaine at a time. So there you have it. Your country is essentially built for the convenience of drug dealers. Uh, you, you ever ask the question "qui bono"? That's Latin. Mm -hmm. That means who benefits. Who benefits here? Pushers. Who benefits by the by the metric system? Yes, by the metric system. Do you want to be having your friend hang from some shower head while you're getting cut up with a chainsaw trying to convert between ounces and grams? 
if I was going to sell cocaine, which, by the way, I don't, mm-hmm. I would go to Canada. So we, I don't want any misunderstandings. Listen, I'm not going to suggest that Canada is a country full of drug addicts, but I will say... Well, guys, I think that's what you've suggested. You guys are a little complacent. A com- a complacent about what? I mean, in general, and I think that's the result of your drug use. If it weren't for your metric drug use system, you guys would have a little bit more get up and go. That's all I'm saying. So, so what, 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 what are you arguing here, that the metric system encourages drug abuse? Oh, what are you arguing, that people should try three-fifths as fast as they drive in America? No, I... benefits I'm, by that? I mean, I'm just saying that it yeah, isn't... Everywhere you go, you get there late. Okay, look. Uh, oh, okay, I'll tell you what. I challenge you right now to a metric conversion off. Okay, what is that? I'll give you a length or mm-hmm. a width or a something, mm-hmm. and you have to convert it. Yeah, but you see, we you, you see you you're, you're using the wrong paradigm here. Why? The, the because we, because you think no, because you're thinking in terms of miles. We're not thinking in terms of miles. Yeah, but that we're right, not exactly, thinking in terms exactly of fact. Point. I don't have to figure out how far a mile is because I know it's a mile. There's none of this nonsense about like, oh, I need a graduated cylinder and go home and like pour my coleslaw into it to figure out exactly what I'm talking about. I eat a cup. It's a cup. I eat a pound. A pound. And besides, you're familiar with Shakespeare. Yes, I am. What did he talk about, a pound of flesh or 2.2 pounds? Give him an inch, take a mile? That sounds really poetic when you say, give him 2.54 centimeters and take 0.78 of a mile or whatever your meter is. Okay, I think, I think you know, you're... you're you, ever, you ever see the Shakespeare play Measure for Measure? You think he was talking about kilometers? I don't think so. I don't think, I, but I don't think that's integral to like. I don't think you know what I mean to the meaning of How the play. How about the delightful Bruce Willis comeback movie, The Whole Nine Yards? Mm-hmm. Do you even know what a yard is? That just confuses you, right? When you hear a movie title called The Whole Nine Yards, I, I'm picturing you going to the movies with your little slide rule, your calculator, and you sit in the dark with a little flashlight, and you and your Canadian friends are trying to figure out what what could they possibly mean by this movie, The Whole Nine Yards, and then you come out with some metric equivalent, the whole eleven point two five meters. Which, by the way, isn't even an expression. It's so sad. It's really sad when you get down to it. You're missing out on such a richness in life. Listen, I love Canada. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, cool. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Metric system. Get out of here. Metric system. Yeah, but okay. L- l- let let's just look at this logically, okay? Don't you think a system of t- take Celsius and Fahrenheit? Don't you think it makes more sense to like have something very concrete, like the point at which water freezes, and make that your point zero, and then the point where water boils being a hundred? That's how I. That's the two bookends to my day. Every morning I make an ice cube, and every morning I boil tea. What's the difference? What temperature ice freezes? What do we live on Venus? How about we make a system where you can tell me, are you going to be cold with a sweater or jacket or shirt? In your system, you have, what, a total of 5, 10 degrees to cover the whole spread of human temperature livability no, it's range? A, it's a very logical system. You have, to, you have to admit that. Here's what I'll admit. It's a terrible system used by Canadians. How's that for a compromise? How many weeks do you have in your month up there? We have the same ten, amount. Ten days in a month. Ten loonies in a goonie. <laughs> Okay, Gregor, I'm, I'm going to let you go now. Okay, I can okay. see I got you worked up. I'm you, sorry. Yeah, you, you, you very, do have me worked your up. Your metric system is very nice. I didn't mean to offend you. Anyway, I was calling you about a favor. You want a favor from me? Yeah. So remember earlier I told you about my car broke down? Yeah. So they couldn't fix it while I was there, mm-hmm. and I wound up leaving it in Fredericton. Do you know where that is? It's, it's in New Brunswick. Right. So here's the favor. Yeah. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. I just need you to pick up my car, which is now fixed, and next time I'm in Montreal, I'll, I'll pick it up from you. Okay, uh, Gregor, do you, do you realize that Fredericton is like over 800 kilometers from Montreal? That's not far, is it? No, that, 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 that's, that's, that's very far. Very far? I'm not talking about walking there. 
You know, in America, we don't make a big deal about things. That's why we're the greatest superpower on Earth, bar none. Gregor, you're talking, seriously, that's like a two-day drive. I can't do that. Anyway, I don't know how long it takes you to drive 800 kilometers. All I can tell you is when I had converted my mileage, it was only taking me like an hour for 500 kilometers, so it shouldn't be more no, than No, that's like now. a whole day's drive. Oh, maybe I should teach you an American expression. It's called pedal to the metal, my main man. Come on, can't you go to Fredericton? I can't go. What are you talking about? How far can it be? You just go into Fredericton, ask for Doug. There's only one auto shop on the Trans-Canada out there. What is this? I call you and say, can you go to Fredericton, and I get a whole metric song and dance. A whole long answer. Much longer than I get in America, but a simple answer suffice. That's how we get things done around here. Straight to the point. Short and sweet. Yeah, and what kind of name is Fredericton anyway? And Moncton. Moncton just sounds like a variation on Montreal. You only have like seven cities in Canada. You think you can make up a new name when you got to Moncton. Sounds like you're mumbling and have potatoes in your mouth. Moncton. And don't you have two St. John or St. John and St. John? What up with that? The voices you heard in part two of Wiretap were Halnia Zviecki, Tara Ariano, and Gregor Ehrlich. Wiretap is produced by me, Jonathan Goldstein, with Sarah Gilbert and Carolyn Warren. Production help from Mira Bert Wintonic. Reach us through our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap.